Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob, hanging out, talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, my man? Not much. Just got back from a long week on the road. Had a very fun time. Half for business, half for fun, and uh, now back in the swing of things here in Cleveland and enjoying it. Sweet. Yeah, I'm glad you got home safe. Glad to hear that you had some fun. Um, yeah, let's well, let's get right into the the meat of our podcast. Uh, last week, we were talking tribe, talking uh, pretty positive about the trades that they that they made the trade that they attempted to make uh, feeling some really good vibes. Uh, unfortunately, they kind of went into the buzzsaw that is known as the Minnesota Twins, which is only really a buzzsaw for the Indians because for every other team, uh, the Twins are the bottom feeder of the AL Central. But the Tribe just can't shake them. And dropping three of those four games to them, all three of those losses coming uh, in double digit, uh, letting up double digits and, and, and runs to the Twins. And then following that up with a, with a, a road series against the Yankees only taking one of those three games. So overall just two and six, uh, in their last seven games, excuse me, get my math off a little bit, uh, two and five in the, in their last seven games, uh, not the best of weeks. And Chris, this, this, uh, especially against the twins, you know, the tribe has had their struggles this year. Uh, haven't played the Yankees exceptionally well either. Um, are these why are these the two teams that are giving the tribe so much trouble? Well, first off, if you give up forty eight runs in four out of five games, that's a problem. Okay, <laughs> you're not gonna beat anyone doing that. So that that's just downright terrible right there. But to answer your question, I, I have no idea. Now the Yankees, I can kind of understand. You know, even though they're having a down year. They're still the Yankees. There is a mystique about them if you want to buy into those things. You know, people wrote off the All-Star Game series or the series right before the All-Star break as fatigue that the Indians were beat up by that 19-inning game and uh, really just needed a breather. And I, and I buy into that, especially the last loss in that series. I buy that they were tired then. But you can't use that excuse now. Losing two out of three to the Yankees, that, that's a team you got to take two out of three from. They're not that good this year. 13-7 um, to seven is just, you can't be losing games like that. And then you can't be losing 12-5, to 10-6, and 13-5 against the Minnesota Twins. I mean, come on, man. The Minnesota Twins are an awful team this year. And I know I said in our preseason podcast they could be the Houston Astros of 2016, but they're clearly not. So... The Tribe is 31-16 and 16 versus the AL Central. They are the only American League team with 30 or more division wins. The only two other teams in the entire major leagues with 30 or more division wins is Washington in the NL East, and the Giants were also with 31 in the NL West. Thing is, 8 of those 16 losses have come against the Minnesota Twins. They are the worst team in the American League at 45 and 66. They're tied with Tampa for fewest wins, but they have the tiebreaker with one more loss. If the Tribe just wins four of those eight games, they have a six-game lead in the AL Central. Instead, the Detroit Tigers are breathing down their neck. 
It's not enough to have big wins against Detroit, Chicago, and Kansas City. You have got to take care of business against the teams you're supposed to beat. And the Yankees and the Twins are two teams they're supposed to beat. And right now, they're holding on to a two-game lead in the AL Central because they cannot take care of business. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely concerning. Uh, These struggles are happening as the Tigers are as hot as any team uh, in the league, you know, they didn't make any moves uh, at the trade deadline, but they didn't really have to with J.D. Martinez coming back. I think Jordan Zimmerman is soon to come back. So they're already expecting a boost. They're eight and two in their last games while the tribe is five and five. So, yeah, it, it's not a good time to be slumping um, back to the the reason for their struggles, though. I can look no further than the starting pitching. I mean, uh, four of those la- of the five losses in, in last week to the Twins and the Yankees, the the Indian starting staff gave up a run in the first inning. You know that is just you want to get off to the right uh, on the right foot. That's not how you do it. Um, and, and then in that uh, one game where they didn't give up the run in the first thing they gave up four in the third so they're always playing behind in a deficit you know we've talked about this a number of times this isn't a high octane offense that can dig itself out of holes uh it's really the starting pitching staff that has to uh pace this team and when you're giving up that first inning run you're already playing from behind so that's not the way to do it you know danny salazar pitched in two of those losing games he's on the 15 day dll right now so Maybe if he didn't go out there, because uh, clearly he's not 100%. If they threw someone out there else out there, they, they would have uh, had better results. But Carlos Carrasco also struggled in, in this stretch. So uh, two of your big guns are, aren't doing so well. The starting staff in general uh, is trending a little bit on the downside. So that, that's really concerning, and I think that is uh, where the tribe needs to right the ship. Well, first off, uh, Danny Salazar being hurt is a big problem because he's been their best pitcher this year. But you look at the guys who were saddled with losses in those four losses where they gave up 10 or more runs. Salazar, Carrasco, Bauer, Tomlin, all four of them starting pitchers. The bottom line is these guys, look, the rotation has pitched fantastic all year long. You know there's going to be struggles at some point. Nothing is perfect in baseball. You are going to lose series to bad teams at times. But to lose to the Twins consistently from April till now, this isn't just a one-series thing. The Twins have owned the Tribe this year. And not just that, to give up 48 runs in four out of five games. Four losses, 48 combined runs. I'm sadly counting that 13-7 Yankees game as well. I mean that's just downright terrible. Uh, you you cannot you you cannot contend for the crown if you're not going to take care of business. And the fact of the matter is, they should have won two or three more games against these two mediocre teams. You do that, you're still sitting five up in the central. Now the Tigers eight and two in their last ten, as you said, right there on their heels. This is going to be a very tight race to the finish in the AL Central. The only thing the Indians got going for them right now is that they're 11 and 1 versus Detroit. But Bob, I'm thinking that Detroit that that the Indians are lucky that they played as many games as they did against Detroit before July because ever since July, ever since Detroit ended that 11 game win losing streak to Cleveland, they have really been on a tear. 
Yeah, definitely. The schedule is definitely benefiting the Indians, but you know, you you got to win the games whenever they're played. Uh, thankfully, the Tigers are getting hot uh, after the Indians were so dominant against them, for sure. Uh, other good news is that amidst all the struggles, Corey Kluber is reestablishing himself as the ace of the rotation. Uh, in the month of July, his last five starts, he's pitched over seven innings. Uh, two of those going into the into the eighth inning as well and has given up a total of six runs in, in those five starts so really dominant uh a guy that can kind of take over as the lead now that Danny Salazar is on the DL and it's really good to see that he's back to pitching to that Cy Young level I, I'm going to tend to err on the side of that this is just a bad stretch for the starting rotation it's been so good for so long that I do think that they're going to write the ship rather quickly here but just looking ahead, starting September 16th, seven of the last 16 games are against those Detroit Tigers. So they do not play Detroit until mid-September to the home stretch. But there are going to be some pretty big games if Detroit keeps it within five games, this division race that is. Look, the Indians just have to start taking care of business against the teams they need to be beating. And, and, right, and Minnesota's one of those teams. But now, this week, two games at Washington if you can split that that's great because Washington's a fantastic team the Angels is a series I'm looking at here you got four at home against a team that's okay I'm looking for them to really take three out of four there I know it's hard to take three out of four in a four game series but I think the tribe really needs to right the ship and bounce back from what is what has been a disastrous week especially coming off the heels of igniting your fan base a bit making the moves that they did at the trade deadline yeah, definitely. I, I I hope that is the case as well. You know, <laughs> Andrew Miller's debut in, in a Indians uniform did not go to plan, giving up that home run that Joe Mauer, point uh, one innings pitched. Uh, the only batter he faced with was that home run. Uh, I, I watched that, and when that happened, I was like, oh man, is this really <laughs> this Andrew Miller's just gonna fall apart? And we're we we just made a terrible move, but thankfully. Uh, he's made two outings since then, got a hold, uh, a save, and, and looks every bit the dominant pitcher that, that we sought out to requi- acquire. But that first appearance did not bode well and did not uh, give a good first impression for me. Oh, no, certainly not. I mean, Andrew Miller, look, every reliever is going to struggle like that, but that is like the worst time to have a blip in your season right after you get traded everyone's looking to you to kind of be the savior a little bit in this bullpen and and you kind of it was kind of a letdown but you're right he has bounced back he's notched a couple of saves um so I like the one-two punch of him and Allen at the back end of that bullpen Otero's pitching well too I think look I think the pitching is all going to settle in I think it's just a bad week I'm trying not to overreact too much because there's still a lot of baseball to be played even if the Indians were up five games it's still a lot of baseball to be played but it's just concerning that they struggled against the, the it's it's not that they struggled it's the teams they struggled against the twins are not a good team the yankees this year are just not a good team these the, the, the indians should have gone 5 and 2 not 2 and 5 this week this is a take care of business week and the indians didn't do that but still 2 months left they're still in first place it's the lead is slimmer but they're still in the lead detroit has to catch them and they only have 7 head to head matchups left to do it so the Indians do 
have a lot of control of their own destiny, but they cannot have weeks like this against subpar teams. They've got it. This has got to be the last time they do this against subpar teams because we're getting down the stretch here. Yeah. Every single game is vital, and they've got to take care of business. They play Minnesota a lot. They're going to play Chicago and Kansas City a lot. Those teams are struggling. You got to beat them down. You got to show them you're the best team in this division, and you got to go out and take it. Yeah, definitely. It's just an odd wrinkle that they're they're struggling so much against the Minnesota Twins. It's it's really is odd. And to Andrew Miller's credit, that home run was given up when the score was ten to three in the eighth inning. So it wasn't really the situations that he was brought in to pitch in, but still, not not again, not the best first impression. But yeah, uh, hopefully they write the ship. They seem to have always been able to bounce back when they do take these little dips uh in their progression so it'll, it'll be a good week or it'll be a very uh a, a good week to pay a lot of attention to to the indians and, and see if that they really are geared up for for this postseason run bob you want to know who's had some really good news this last week i know the indians in general didn't but you want to know who's had some really good news well uh i'll, I'll let you I, i'll let you uh, fill in our our listeners but i i, I know where you're going with this Tyler Naquin, man, second straight month being named AL Rookie of the Month. 348, six home runs, 15 RBIs, five doubles, four and 14 runs. That's a pretty good month in July for Tyler Naquin. He's making quite the case for uh, Rookie of the Year. Um, He's among the leaders in in most of the American League offensive categories for rookies. Um, He has a, you know, 330 batting average. Bob, do you think Tyler Naquin is going to win Rookie of the Year? I, I think he's trending that way. There are a couple pitchers that he could uh, that that could steal the title. Most notably, Michael Fulmer of the Tigers, if he continues his strong uh, season as as a starting pitcher, um, and as the Tigers continue to ascend through the rankings, he could. Uh, supplant Tyler Naquin, but I think as of right now, he has to be considered the favorite. He's on a the number one team in the AL Central. He's an integral part of that. He leads all AL rookies in a number of offensive categories, um, and, and there's no real competition from the position player side of the ball that, that has given him a run for his money. Uh, Chris Davinsky is another guy for, from the Houston Astros that's having a really strong rookie year, but um, other than those two pitchers, it, it seems to be Naquin's to lose at this point. Yeah, what's what's encouraging for me is that for the last two months, he was named Rookie of the Month, and I believe that that would take into account all rookies. So the fact that he's winning these kind of awards is def- are definitely big feathers in his cap. Um, to top it all off, how exciting would it be you get Naquin winning Rookie of the Year on the heels of Francisco Lindor coming in second for rookie of the year coming so close to winning it last year arguably should have nothing against uh nothing against houston shortstop but uh i thought lindor should have won it but naquin definitely i think it's his to lose right now yeah definitely and jose carrera you know on that postseason houston astros team was getting a little more fanfare when he, when he was called up um Lindor being a later call up in the season you could see why he didn't get that award but I, I think it's Nick wins to lose and it's really refreshing to see that uh you know right off the bat Indians rookies are making a strong impression uh you know the tribe has already always brought up strong p- 
people from their farm system you know the most of the rotation is homegrown in some facet uh but it takes them a while to develop it in the MLB. None of them were real rookie of the year contenders. It's really nice to see that these top prospects are, are hitting the ground running at once they get the call up. I also think pitchers are a bit of a different beast. Uh, how many times have you seen a rookie pitcher come out with the world on fire and then take a sophomore slump? And, and you see that a lot with even the Indians pitchers too. Um, they come up, have a good first year. Danny Salazar being an example, he started in that playoff game in 2013, then kind of fell off the map a little bit, needed to find himself, and right at the ship. Carlos Carrasco, man, that guy looked lost for a while and had injuries, and I mean, everyone thought that the Cliff Lee trade was just a complete waste, and then all of a sudden the light clicks, and he is just on fire for the last three years. And so sometimes it just takes some time for pitchers, but it's always encouraging to see these guys pitcher or hitter come up right away and make it and put their fingerprints on the team and make a good strong impression and Tyler Naquin has done just that especially in a year when Michael Brantley has been hurt all season long the outfield depth was a huge issue he has really helped solidify that outfield in a time where the Indians absolutely needed him too yeah definitely it's been really fun to watch and and one of the best storylines of the Indian season um, all right, well, changing sports, but keeping the focus on from a Rookie of the Year contender in MLB to a former Rookie of the Year in the NFL, uh, more positive news coming out of the Browns training camp, or at least I'm viewing it as positive news. Uh, Hugh Jackson announcing today that Robert Griffin III will be the Browns' number one starter for the preseason and for week one of the regular season barring you know good health and and any injuries but he is the official starter named after just one week of quarterback competition we talked about this a little bit uh in our last podcast but chris this is just a, a really refreshing take on uh position battle that we are used to seeing dragging into the regular season you want to know why i'm so confident in this browns regime right now because of this decision Yes, but not just that, because of the fact that they have done the opposite of every other Browns regime since 1999. Think about it. Every Browns regime since 1999 hasn't valued draft picks that much. All right. I mean, how many times have you seen Browns regimes just say, no, we can't be young, we need to rely on experience? This Browns regime drafted 14 players and accumulated even more picks beyond that. They played the game the way Baltimore, New England, and Pittsburgh, these teams that value comp picks, don't overpay for free agents, do. I like that. I don't know if these guys are going to hit, but I like the strategy. Every season, Bob, we know that this quarterback position battle drags into sometimes week one of the regular season. Forget the preseason. Week one of the regular season, they still don't know. Hugh Jackson, right off the bat, RG3 is my guy. He's getting all the team reps. He's made it official. Now everyone knows their roles. Everyone can slide into place and be comfortable. RG3 can has a fair chance to win over his teammates and learn the offense. He doesn't have to worry about being yanked every time he throws an interception in the first game of the preseason. I love this decision. Now, I don't know if it's going to translate into wins and losses this year. But I like the fact that the Browns are finally starting to emulating some of the other successful franchises in the NFL. And whether or not this works this year because it's a very young team, they still have a lot of work to do beyond this season, 
I like the fact that they're starting to put in a successful infrastructure that works more often than not. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's refreshing. It's a, a real refreshing take. Uh, you know, every regime we've had has always talked a big game about doing things differently. Uh, this is the first time I've seen the actual head coaching uh, staff and their personnel decisions on the field actually be different. Like you said, you know, we've seen every kind of GM president advising regime and, and different strategies. Uh, you know, I think this regime is more committed to draft picks than any other regime, but we've seen other guys try to veer that way. They, they usually they uh, lose faith in that strategy pretty quickly, but in terms of on the field personnel decisions, this is completely different. It's absolutely refreshing. And, you know, every week we are coming out with not huge game-breaking news about the Browns, but they're positive stories, and, and there hasn't been a whole lot of negativity. You know, last year, around this time, Josh Gordon suspended again. Johnny Menzel was on the team, so we were talking about that train wreck. Ray Farmer was set to be suspended for, for texting down to the sideline or whatever. Uh, there's none of that. It, it's all positive news stories. Yeah, there are a couple injuries here and there, uh, but nothing, you know, earth shattering. It's it's all been little pieces of information, news bits about good, <laughs> good players and good camps, and I, and I love that. It, it's it's been refreshing. I know you're knocking on wood, but uh, oh, I was knocking on wood <laughs> hardcore there, man. Come on, Mal. Don't tempt fate, Bob. This is football. Anything can happen. Yeah, anything can happen like the Browns actually having a good season for once. <laughs> That's true. I mean, look, you see it every year. There's always a team that goes from sort of worst to first or at least worst to the middle. I'm not saying the Browns are that team. I don't I still think that they're young and I still think I have questions around RG3 and the quarterbacks on their roster. But I like the infrastructure. And even if they go 4 and 12 or 5 and 11, if I can see something on the field that gives me confidence, see these rookies having success at critical times, yeah, they're going to make mistakes, but I want to see progress. I want to see the semblance of a team that has some infrastructure building. I still think the Browns need to layer one or two more drafts on top of this year before they have a significant t- playoff contender hopefully, but I just like the fact that everything that's happening is how successful teams run their football team. It, it's how yeah. the, all the big teams you can name run their team this year. And let's just be real. RG3 is not Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. I know Peyton Manning retired, but he's not Peyton Manning. He's not Drew Brees. He's not Andrew Luck. He in no way should be anointed the starting quarterback. I mean, this... this in past Browns years, this is a tailor-made quarterback competition. All right, Even Jeff Garcia comes into Cleveland with way more success than RG3 has had over a consistency, from a consistency standpoint and had to look over his shoulder because guys were breathing down his neck. So this is big, the fact that RG3 has been named the starter. He's going to be given a true fair chance, four preseason games to get acclimated, or maybe only three because usually the fourth, the starters don't play. And 75 to 80 percent of the first team reps that is huge and he needs it because he wasn't the starter last year he was benched for Kirk Cousins 
He needs to get used to this system, and especially with such young wide receivers. He really needs to get used to them and start helping them along in their development because they're going to need his experience big time. Now, I mean, you know, Terrell Pryor has been in this league for a while, but he's just now trying to be a wide receiver. Um, you know, Josh Gordon, I think, is the only receiver on this roster that's really big time experience. I mean, they, some of the other slot guys are, but I'm talking about as an outside true number one. These guys need stability, and I think that's what the Browns are trying to do. They're trying to implement a strategy, be consistent, and make decisions that emulate the best teams of the NFL. I like where they're going with this. Again, I don't expect it to show up in the win column. I just want to see progress on the field. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that it, it's it's good to see they're, they're getting infrastructure, like you said, and uh, the coaching staff has a lot of slack. You know, they're not on a one-year show-me deal, or at least if they are, that'd be insane. You know, I don't know what the expectations are, but I can't imagine that they would make some of these decisions with such confidence uh, if jobs were on the line. And I don't think that, I think they're at least given at a, a larger window than one season, and that's great. And I think that plays into everything that you talked about in terms of servicing the rookies, giving them a, a proper for, formula to succeed, and using this year to grow um, all these positive things, they might surpass our expectations, which like you said, aren't a, a whole, aren't that great to begin with, but it, it would be nice to see them actually exceed what I'm expecting from a Cleveland Browns team. So we'll, we'll we will have to see, you know, you talked a lot about the, the wide receiving core and, and, and gaining that rapport between Griffin and those young wide receivers, uh, preseason game, first one, uh, on Friday, against green bay is that what you are looking for the most out of that game to see how those wide receivers and rg3 interact i'm looking for a number of things uh but yes that is one of them uh, you know you definitely want to see Corey coleman have a solid game i mean this is the first time he's stepping onto an nfl field let's you know let's be realistic here it's also a preseason game so let's not freak out if he doesn't you know light it up but I'm definitely looking at him I'm definitely looking at Terrell Pryor and I definitely want to see how they are I mean I want to see development I want to see them have a good rapport with RG3 I know that's a lot to ask but but it would be encouraging if that's there I'm also want to watch the defense uh, versus Aaron Rodgers in the first quarter because I, usually in the first preseason game you don't go too much over into the second quarter, maybe at a half at most. But when the Green Bay starters are on the field, I want to see how this defense handles that kind of offense. You know, even if the Packers aren't running full bore, they're still a darn good offense. I want to see how this defense performs against them. I want to see Joe Hayden's return to the field. Will it go smooth versus? Arguably, I mean, he might be matched up against Jordy Nelson. I would think he would be. Another guy who's returning from a 2015 injury. I want to see Joe Hayden, something good out of him as well. But but yes, of course, you you absolutely all eyes are going to be on RG3's first snap in a Browns uniform with a young and experienced wide receiver core and just hope that none of them get injured. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I'm looking forward to to watching all all of that stuff as well. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Joe Hayden actually plays in that first game. He was just activated from that physically unable to perform list, so uh, we're not in, entirely sure. I think he will play, but it, it'll be very interesting to see if he takes the field and, and see exactly what he's giving at, at what kind of level. Um, I other than Joe Hayden, though, I I don't really 
care much about what I see on the defensive end just because I think there is less promise there than what is coming from the offensive side of the ball. So, yeah, I'm focusing a lot on what can Griffin and those wide receivers do, particularly Corey Coleman, particularly Terrell Pryor, who had a great uh, scrimmage game back in his alma mater at OSU. Um, I'm also looking at that offensive line, you know, Cameron Irvin slotting into that center position, the first round draft pick from last year's draft, um, kind of battling an arm injury, I think. So it'll be very interesting to see if he can get out on the field um, and provide a a stable uh, leader in in the middle of that offensive line. I'm I'm keying in on on the offense if I'm watching that preseason game at all, which you know, it's preseason. I'm not exactly circling it big on my calendar. No, it's the first preseason game. And, and I agree, Hayden might not play this Friday. If he does, I would be kind of surprised if he lasted more than a quarter. Not lasted, but if the coaches kept him out there for more than a quarter, uh, that would be more accurate. Um, yeah, it's the first preseason game. The, the, the only preseason game that really you have a lot on is week three. That's kind of the dress rehearsal. The first two are just kind of getting your feet wet, very bland stuff. Even if the Browns defense performs well against this Packers offense, it would be encouraging, but it's not like Green Bay is going all out. That's an offense that is st- stable. They don't need a lot of reps to get in a rhythm. They're just kind of looking more at the slots 40 through 53 on their roster. The Browns are looking more at like slots 15 through 53 on their roster. So there, there's a yeah. bit of a difference between the two teams right now. I definitely think this preseason game is a little bit bigger for a team like the Browns who are trying to find their footing and trying to get the continuity that a team like Green Bay has. So if the Browns like light up the scoreboard against the Packers, let's – chill out just a little bit I don't think Green Bay is approaching this in quite the same way that the Browns are yeah definitely but it'll be nice to see see them all out there playing a little bit of football it's good to know that that football is right around the corner Um, we are already supposed to have witnessed the very first preseason game this year and unfortunately uh, embarrassment is still happening in terms of football in Northeast Ohio but it's not coming from the Browns it was coming from the Canton Football Hall of Fame game that was supposed to go on uh, over the weekend. Apparently paint as hard as cement that could not be penetrated by cleats. Uh, an unsafe amount of rubber pellets on the turf, citing unsafe turf conditions. Uh, the NFL decided to cancel that game. No football was played during Hall of Fame weekend. Uh, Chris, this is pretty embarrassing from the nfl standpoint and then just from the canton hall of fame standpoint you know not getting a field nfl ready uh when you had all the time in the world what what is, what is your take on that a complete and utter disaster for the city of canton um the pro football hall of fame is a huge huge part of that city this game i'm sure generated a lot of revenue for the hall of fame they're gonna have to give full refunds to those fans and i know uh those tickets are very hard to come by it's a very popular tradition and uh i'm sure that they are hurting a little bit from this kind of fiasco uh but yeah i mean i don't know what went wrong It, it is an odd odd story you had the packers you had the colts Uh, I know a lot of the stars weren't going to play. I don't even think Aaron Rodgers was going to play. But the fact of the matter is the Packers brand attracts a little bit more fans than than your typical NFL team. And and couple that with Brett Favre being inducted to the Hall of Fame would have been a very nice storm. Now, now the Hall of Fame game always does well attendance-wise, but it's just... 
yeah, now now the Canton now the Hall of Fame isn't going to have that game as part of its bottom line. So I, I certainly it's going to be interesting to see uh, just just kind of the aftermath of this. I know they're replacing the turf. They said that they were going to replace the turf regardless that this was just a temporary field because they're doing a lot of renovations over in the Hall of Fame over at Canton. Uh, a lot of renovations to the stadium. Uh, when I covered down a, ga- a basketball game down in Canton, it was a tournament game. I drove by the kind of where the Hall of Fame's uh, stadium is, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of construction going on back. That was, was back probably in February or so. So they've they've got a lot going on there. Uh, but yeah, this is a disaster, Bob. I mean, to, yeah, to you had one this, job, you know, <laughs> one yeah, weekend, this, and this, you didn't I, get it. Uh, yeah, this iconic game too. I mean, yeah, this is this it's is a, this it, is huge. It does well ratings wise as well. It's not just, you know, a lot of people tune in because it is the first football game. It's on prime time. Uh, yeah, a pretty big embarrassment. I, I imagine some people are going to get in trouble uh, if they haven't already about it regarding this incident. Yeah, I mean, there, there's really nothing else to say. Uh, I, I think the biggest impact for the Hall of Fame is going to be that they have to get, they're, they're going to be offering fans full refunds. And I imagine every fan's going to take, take it. Um, and that, that's just huge. Cause I imagine that that's a big, uh, big moneymaker for the hall of fame and the NFL. And, yep. uh, now, now, especially for the hall of fame, cause the NFL is going to move on. They've got a ton of money, other revenue sources, but looking from the hall of fame's perspective, I'm sure that that's one of their bigger, uh, weekends, if not the biggest weekend, uh, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it's them. the biggest, I, I can't <laughs> imagine anything else bigger than that. Yeah, I can't imagine any other event they'd hold outside of that weekend drawing bigger than the induction weekend and with that Hall of Fame game as the capper. So, yeah, bad story out of Canton, but um, it is what it is at this point. I mean, they just got to move forward and uh, just improve. Yeah, <laughs> you act like they're a, a losing team. <laughs> got to move forward and prove they're, 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 they're 0-0 right now. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, they are kind of. I mean, it's just, it's an odd story, man. I mean, the paint itself, I, I guess it, it it was too hard, and then when they tried to remove it, it, it melted the rubber pellets, and so it just completely warped the field to the point where the players just couldn't do anything on it. Yeah, I mean, those cleats are sharp, and they couldn't penetrate painted turf. Uh, that that sounds pretty dangerous to me. So. Uh, I'm glad that you know safety trumped the day and the NFL saw the light and, and canceled the game. But yeah, a, a very odd story, a very odd way to start off the uh, round of games for the, for the 2016 NFL season. Hopefully, we get to see some football soon. One thing we missed talking about the Browns, though, Bob. Um, what do you think of this Dallas inquiring about Cle- uh, Cleveland's Josh McCown? You know, when uh, Kellen Moore went down w- with that injury. I instantly thought that, you know, the Browns should at least field some offers for, for McCowan. Um, I think that, and especially when Nick Foles, uh, after he got cut from the Rams, went on to sign with the Chiefs, uh, you know, all eyes turned on McCowan, and it seemed like a like a, a match made in heaven. Um, I think that the Browns will entertain that offer later in the preseason. You know, they just anointed Griffin, the starter, uh, that does they still want McCowan there to push him to hold him accountable to at least be at a Josh McCowan level or better when, when week one starts I think once that job is serviced I, I think they'll definitely entertain some offers from the Cowboys and try and recoup 
a draft pick and get rid of what is uh, league-wide one of the worst contracts in, in the NFL, the, the amount of money that Josh McCown is getting paid right now. Um, I think it'd be a really smart move to, to trade him later. But as of right now, McCown is serving a really important purpose with the Browns, and I think it would be foolish to uh, get rid of him right now. Yeah, but they will have to make a move soon because – the problem is if you make a quarterback a quarterback trade too late or, or any sort of trade too late, you don't see a lot of trades in the NFL because it's hard to acclimate guys into a system pre in the middle of the season, and that's doubly true for a quarterback. Now, McCown's been around. He's seen a lot. I don't think it would be as big of an issue for him, but I doubt the Cowboys would want to trade for their backup quarterback after the third preseason game. So I think that the Browns have a window but if McCown isn't moved before that third preseason game, I don't necessarily think he will be traded um, just because I think at that point, the Cowboys will have settled in on whoever's going to back up Tony Romo. And let's just be real, Tony Romo's backup generally sees the field most seasons. Yeah, and I think that's why a guy like Josh McCown, who has seen so many different teams play with so many different teams, I think you can extend that 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 window to, to get a move because as of right now Dak Prescott is Tony Romo's backup uh you know if I'm the Cowboys trying to get back into the postseason I have one of the most talented teams that does not give me encouragement I'd much rather have a guy like McCowan who can at a moment's notice go into any game and at least look serviceable so I think the window is a little bit longer I get what you're saying but um, you know, Tony Romo will be the starter, so there's plenty of time to get McCown acclimated to that system. I, I think the window's longer than week three in preseason. For a guy like McCown, it probably is a little bit longer. I, I'll, I'll agree to that. But I also think if you're Dallas, you could do a lot worse as your backup quarterback than Josh McCown. You saw what he did with an established offense in Chicago the one year that got him that big contract in Tampa before he came to Cleveland. He really almost saved their season now Chicago threw their season away against Green Bay in the last week of the season they could have made the playoffs but McCown really saved their season there had came in and ran an established offense and that's what Dallas has they have a really good offensive line some good weapons and established offense McCown has shown that he can be that kind of quarterback so if I'm Dallas I'm looking at Josh McCown hardcore because Dallas should win the NFC East I mean, they, I think, have the most talent in that division. All due respect to Washington, who won it last year. Dallas is notorious underachievers. Dallas and San Diego are the two biggest underachievers over the last 10 years. Those two teams always are yeah. loaded with talent, and they and they always seem to fall short. So, you know, for injuries, for, for just flukiness, for whatever, those two teams always seem to underwhelm. So if I'm Dallas, Josh McCown is a guy who can come in if Tony Romo gets hurt and keep the team afloat. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, to, to, I, I get where you're coming from with, with Dallas, but, you know, two years ago they had such a, a successful season. Last year was supposed to be the year, and everyone on the team got hurt. So I, I give them a little bit of a pass. But, yeah, they, they do notoriously underachieve. I think McCowan is a good fit. I think that the Browns and Cowboys will entertain those discussions once his uh, purpose is served in Cleveland. Um, but as of right now, he has a job to do, and that's to push Griffin to be a better starter. Well, last year, Cowboys have an excuse, no doubt. But how many years did they lose the division on the last week of the season and go like because they were 8-8 eight and eight and lost in Week 17? I mean, Dallas has, for like four or five straight years, really just choked away their division. 
No, yeah, so, I, I, yeah. I, I give it to you for sure. Um, but, but then if they, if they do it every year, are they really as talented as they are? Okay, you know. Okay, okay, good, good point, good point. Touche they did, there. they did reinvent themselves two years ago into a power run team, and and that worked a lot better. Certainly, and uh, Ezekiel Elliott, man, I think he landed in a good spot there. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to keep keep eyes on that former Buckeye. Um, Chris, I, I'm just telling you right now, there will be, after this little brief announcement, there'll be no mention of LeBron or J.R. Smith not signing on this podcast until we actually have some news from them. Is I that, agree. Is that- I, it is time for us to boycott this subject. This is going on way too long. LeBron and J.R., come on, man. Or, or Cleveland, whoever. What I don't know what's going on. This should be done by now. There's got to be some like financial mundane rule that says oh if you sign by august 12th you save some caps i don't know i have no idea why this is taking so long because it just makes too much sense so definitely well like i said i think they're both coming back yeah for sure and you can listen to the previous four podcasts where we say that they're gonna come back but we're tabling it until we actually get some concrete news does that sound good to you oh that sounds perfect to me (laughs) all right well, moving on uh, just to some, some newsworthy elements around the league, uh, A-Rod and the Yankees announcing a press conference in early August, announcing that this Friday will be his last game in pinstripes. Next year, he will be a $27 million advisor to the Yankees, though if he wants to, he can play uh, for any, he can sign with a team this year to, to finish out the season. So, uh, don't feel sad for A-Rod. Don't ever feel sad for him because he is a very rich man. But, Chris, wh- what, are you, what are your thoughts on this announcement, the timing of it, A-Rod in general? I mean, it's just a bizarre ending to what has been for the past few years a very bizarre storyline. Ever since A-Rod got busted again for roids, his career has just been, everyone's just tuned out. And... It's just been one weird kind of situation after another. In some ways, this is the perfect way for him to go out of baseball because his career has just been one giant, huh, after another. Like the year he opted out of his already grossly bloated contract. It's like, why would you do that? Did you really think the Cubs were going to offer you $275 million? But then the Yankees did, even <laughs> when they yeah. knew nobody else was offering him that money. They brought him back for more than they were paying him before. So it's like everything this guy does just comes with the grain of, wow, that was just really weird. So this isn't surprising to me at all because it's A-Rod. And this honestly is sort of the perfect ending to what has been a odd sort of love him, hate him career. And... uh I think the Yankees just finally want rid of him. Can you believe he's been in a Yankees uniform for, like, since 2004? It's yeah. It's been that it, long, man. It, it like, has, it, it's been a very long time. You know, I, I think about with A-Rod, you know, what could have been. Uh, definitely one of the best players in the league in the late 90s and early 2000s. I, I can't imagine that he was always on the juice. Uh, so, but I, I, I don't, I can't pinpoint exactly when he got on it and, and that taints just about everything he's done. You know, the three MVPs, he's four home runs away from, from 700. I'm sure that's tempting for him to at least go somewhere and try and get that record, uh, over 3000 hits. All that to me is voided by 
you know, all the drama that's come forth about him doing steroids, him lying about it, him getting busted for more steroids, getting the suspension, and him just being kind of a not likable character. On the mist in 2016, he's not even a serviceable MLB player at this point. Uh, lost his starting job, sitting 204, only nine home runs and 29 runs batted in, 65 strikeouts to four, 14 walks. I mean, he, he's not good at this point. You know, last year he kind of had a resurgence, but uh, yeah, it, it's just it, it seems like the perfect way for for him to go out, given all the all the promise that that was there and then just all the burnout and the flame out of the last five or six years uh this seems like a fitting end to him it is kind of shocking that he's not going to play out the season to try to get those four more home runs because that 700 club is extremely elite only three others occupy it barry bonds hank aaron and babe ruth so uh it wouldn't surprise me if he I don't think he's done done I think he's dev I, I think he's gonna go after that because I, I just think it would be foolish to retire and not try to run down 700 when you're so close it'll it'll be really interesting to see you know I, I do you do you think he's going to try and sign on this year do you think he's gonna come back next year to to get those home runs I have no clue when I just I just can't see him walking away from that record. I yeah. really just can't see him walking away from that record. Yeah. By the definitely. way, Bob, I'm looking at this list right here. Albert Pujols, 581 home runs. He's gunning in on 600 at 36 years old. Yeah. I mean, I don't. He could stop right now, and he would be a Hall of Famer in my book. But uh, yeah, he he's uh, climbing the record books very quietly, unassumingly. Um, ever since he went to LA, he's kind of fallen out of the the spotlight, if you will, just because of how he kind of dipped down in terms of production. But yeah, he's quietly on his way towards uh, some records for sure. Only eight guys have hit 600 home runs, man. It's pretty elite. Pretty elite. Yeah, definitely. You got 27 guys who've hit 500 home runs. And David Ortiz, another active player with 528 home runs, 19th on the all-time list. I know he's a career DH essentially, but it's going to be hard to uh, keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, definitely. Uh, remarkably, the the Royds rumors around him have never really there. There have been mentions, but you know nothing concrete in the age of so many reports and tell-alls and all that. So I think he's good. I think Pujols is good. Um, a Rod, on the other hand, I don't think he's so good to make that Hall of Fame. No, I, unless the voters have a massive change of heart, but because if, if you put Arod in, you have to put Barry Bonds in. I'm sorry, you can't you can't yeah. do one without the other. For sure, definitely. And Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, you have to put them all in. If you put one of them in, you have to put them all in. Definitely. Ichiro also climbing into his Hall of Fame career. I mean, I think he was a Hall of Famer, but 3,000 hits pretty much cements it for just about anyone. Um, we've talked a lot about Ichiro. I hate when people say he's the true hit king because he is not. Pete Rose has more major league hits than him. The time in Japan does not count. I'm sorry. It was a great career. He's a Hall of Famer, probably first ballot. 3,000 hits. Tip of the cat to Ichiro. We're going to make it all into there. And it's not his fault. And, and that's what I don't like. It's not his fault. People are are trying to make him into something. And, and he's not the one doing it. He's not 
you know, Pete Rose is the one who said it first. He just kind of jabbed back a little bit. So let's just put the focus on a great player here. 3,000 hits, one of the best pure hitters that baseball has ever seen. Um, certainly a, a guy who's going straight to Cooperstown. Yeah, definitely. Uh, rookie of the Year, AL MVP in 2001. You, you and I both are upset about the Rookie of the Year part of that. You know, CC Sabathia, we thought deserved that even though you know Ichiro was the MVP as well as a 30 year old um just a historic career one of the more most exciting guys to watch play um you know holds the record for most hits in a single season at 262 10 consecutive 200 hit seasons all of which all of which uh he hit 300 in those seasons so definitely one of the best pure hitters that we've seen in this generation um really really cool to see him get 3,000 uh, at, at such a late start in, in his career so that, that's really impressive and not just that what he did for Japanese players he was the first big time Japanese star to come over into the majors um, Hideki Masui followed shortly after and then a whole wave of Japanese players but Ichiro I think was one of those guys who really did more than just play great baseball. He he broke down some barriers and really opened the door for a lot of the Asian baseball players to have a to to get looks in at, by the major leagues. The major leagues started scouting that Asia Pacific region a lot heavier once Ichiro got here, and I think that his presence and his success has opened the door for a ton of other guys to come in and have success in this league. Yeah, definitely. Excuse me, he was 27 when he entered the league. He wasn't exactly 30, but still. Yeah, he was in his seemed a little old to me when you said that. I'm like, man, I, I know he's old now, but but that that would mean. Well, we, we were so upset at the time. We were probably exaggerating his, his <laughs> I'm age sure we to make were. CC look better. But uh, going to the NBA offseason, uh, almost just to say he did it, I feel like Russell Westbrook signed that extension just to kind of at least give something back to Kevin Durant um Thunder and Westbrook announcing a uh I'm quoting a three-year contract extension essentially the Thunder are buying one more year giving Westbrook a raise for that year of service um he'll have an opt-out in in that third year so they're buying at least one more guaranteed year of service in the Thunder uniform Chris what are are your thoughts on on Westbrook re-upping for for a little bit more with the Thunder this is a smart move for his brand because I think he looks like a true good guy now. A lot of people for the last few years uh, definitely painted him as the scapegoat for those Thunder teams in favor of, you know, not really giving Durant all the blame. I think this is a a very smart move for his brand, but let's just be real here. Like you said, it's not a true three-year deal because he still retains a player option. He's just moved that option to the summer of 2018 instead of the summer of 2017. So not... Hey, good for the Thunder because now they got him for two years instead of just one. But it's not exactly like he's committed five or six years here, people. He's still going to be a free agent pretty much in his prime. So still keeping the pressure on the Thunder but giving them a little bit of security and winning over some goodwill. This was the perfect time for him to do it. That city, that franchise, that fan base is hurting from Kevin Durant's decision. So very smart move by him for his brand to come in and say, hey, at least – sign an extension and extend an olive branch to the city of Oklahoma city. Definitely to the city of Oklahoma city. (laughs) Yeah, definitely to the casual fan. You know, it makes him look really good to the discerning fan. Uh, 
you know, we're applauding him because not only does he get a raise right now for this season, I think about a $6 million bump in, in his contract, but uh, when he does opt out and he will after that second year, it'll be in his 10th year, which will then bump his max contract status up by, I think from 30% to 35% available in, in, in terms of max space that can be dedicated towards him. So he's setting himself up for an even bigger payday than what he was going to get next year. He's definitely going to be the most sought after guy in 2018. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. The Thunder now have some time to see if you know this new roster can work. Can they bring in another star? Can they make him happy? But at least they got some time. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that the Thunder at least have Westbrook for another year and and won't entertain those trade offers to at least the summer of 2017. So it'll be good. Yeah, it, it's a win for everyone all around. Westbrook gets more money. He can be a free agent at the best time for him to maximize on his career earnings. And the Thunder get a little bit of stability instead of another circus show this year of Will Westbrook lead because those chants will be a lot louder than last year. Last year, there wasn't a lot of talk because the Thunder had so much success. This year, I don't think they're going to have that level of success. So the chants would probably be a lot louder this year than they were the year before. Yeah, definitely. All right, and just to wrap up, uh, have you been watching the Olympics? What what are your takeaways? Uh, any anybody sticking out to you? Man, the Olympics make me feel old because Katie yeah. Ledecky is a 19 year old who has broken her own world record and is like won another gold medal. Bob, yeah, well, I feel I feel so old just reading stuff like that and watching stuff like that. Definitely, I, I'm feeling that a little bit as well in this Olympics. Probably not so much as you since you are an old man now, <laughs> past the age of 30. Uh, sorry for <laughs> laughing at you. but um, Katie In Ledecky, Olympic years, I am. Yeah. Uh, Katie Ledecky, definitely impressive. You know, breaking her own world record. She's done that multiple times uh, since 2013. Definitely most dominant female Olympic swimmer. Um, for me, though... There is a new uh, soup. You can just tell by by watching it when you watch her perform that she is just head and shoulders better than everyone else. She has all the Olympic hard work and dedication, but she is you know has the talent of you know a once in generational star, and that's Simone Biles. I, I was watching the female gymnastics last night, and within twenty seconds of watching her perform, you could tell she's faster stronger can jump higher is more technically talented i mean in, in the free uh, event or on the on the floor event she has a, a move named after her a move that nobody else can do they call it the biles so she could win five of the six available gymnastic gold medals in this olympics uh really impressive to watch and i, I would recommend anybody who's interested in the olympics to, to definitely check her out i have not gotten a chance to watch too much of the olympics but i did see a piece on her and yes she is the real deal she is an incredible athlete and if you i don't care if you're a gymnastics fan or not and bob i'm not gonna make fun of you for watching gymnastics but look man you gotta watch you gotta watch her perform because it is just it's off the charts yeah, definitely. It's the same thing like watching Michael Phelps in 2008. Like what what I felt watching her perform, it's you can just tell that she's she's better than everyone and has been gifted a supreme talent in gymnastics and it's it's really impressive. So so impressive that, you know, Gabby Douglas, the girl that won the all-around all event last year isn't even going to be able to compete for Team USA. She's that good. 
You mean four years ago, right? Yeah, whatever, whatever I said. Last Olympics. Last Olympics. It's okay. It's okay. You know, you want to know the one thing I don't like about the Olympics, though? I don't like the tennis, the golf, the basketball that use all the stars that I see all the time. I, I don't like those sports. I, I understand that you give them a chance to be Olympic athletes, sure, but they're not as exciting as, as the gymnastics track and swimming events. Those, those three are the bread and butter for me because yeah. well, I can't. This is, this is their like Super Bowl. And I can't speak to golf because this is the first time golf's in it in like 100 years or something, and a lot of those top guys aren't in it, so I don't know how that's going to look. Um, and then in, in terms of tennis, I, I agree with you, though the Williams sisters got knocked out in the first round. Uh, so did Djokovic. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, the Williams sisters won gold in 2000, 2008, and 2012. They didn't compete in 2004, so they've absolutely dominated, and you think they would again. Uh, very interesting that they got knocked out in the first round. I don't think golf should be in the Olympics. I just, whatever. It's, why do we need another golf course? That's that's my logic. I think softball yeah. should be in the Olympics, though. And um, rugby being back in the Olympics, man, they, there's some pretty cool storylines going on the rugby field, too. Yeah, I, I got a chance to watch some rugby. I, I really enjoyed that. And, yeah, I agree with you, especially the fact that they built a golf course in Rio de Janeiro. That's come under some serious uh, scrutiny as to why they did that. I don't really think golf belongs in there, but I I understand why it is. Uh, I know a lot of people are happy about that. Golfers, that's about it. Yep, that's about (laughs) it. (laughs) Man, all right, one last thing on the Olympics. Can you believe that they they wanted to remove wrestling from the Olympics? Uh, No, I get what. What was the reason behind that? This was like before. This was this was before the games even started. Like they, they, in, in, every year, the game, the the games in the Olympics uh, are under review, and wrestling was actually put on like the alert list or, or some sort of like probation, and they had to kind of like reapply to get in. Hmm. And because wrestling got knocked down, that completely screwed up baseball and softball's bid because everyone knew that wrestling was going to be the one chosen amongst those three sports on the bubble or something. And how can you... Wrestling is like the first Olympic sport. It goes all the way back to like Greece. Yeah. How can you How can you take that one out? That's like when you think of the Olympics, you think of like four sports and that's probably one of them. How can you take that out? That's just ridiculous. Yeah, that, that is interesting. I don't know the, what, what happened behind that. It is the oldest Olympic sport, so uh, that's very odd, bizarre. Would have been a disaster if they had done it. So luckily they wised up and kept it in there. But, hey, we are actually out of time. But thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast once again. We hope you enjoyed it. Please follow us on Twitter, Fenley Road Sports, Instagram, Fenley Road Sports, or search Fenley Road Sports on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. And while you're at it, just give us a five-star rating because you know you want to. But thank you so much for your support. Come back to FenleyRoadSports.com. We'll have a podcast every single week focused on Cleveland sports. Clee talks the name. Come on back. More next week. And, we'll, of course, we'll have more content on the website for you as well. Thank you for listening. And until then, go Tribe. Get things turned around. All right. I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.